The previous Mishnah taught that once there are witnesses already for the Kinui and Stira, then even if a single, usually invalid witness testifies that they saw her actually have relations with the man, they are believed and she wouldn't drink the soda water, rather she would be divorced and not receive her kasuba. This Mishnah explains the source for that law. And the Mishnah begins by telling us that logic would dictate the opposite. Badin. We would have said the following Kavachomer. A Kavachomer is an argument of all the more so. And a Kavachomer is often called Din. Now, now what, would, what would we have said? If the first testimony, referring to the testimony about the actual stira, which doesn't lead to an everlasting prohibition of the husband and wife to have relations and remain married, because she could just drink the water and they would be able to continue living together, unless she would die. And yet, even though it doesn't lead to a permanent prohibition, nevertheless, the law is, according to Yeshua at least, this Mishnah goes according to Yeshua, that that testimony is not accepted if it's less than two witnesses. So, the last testimony, meaning the testimony which says that they actually had relations, that's after the stira, that if that testimony is accepted, then it would lead to a permanent prohibition of the husband and wife to be together. Is it not all the more so? That it should not be accepted with less than two witnesses. Their testimony leads to a greater consequence, so it should require at least as many witnesses. That's what we would have said logically. Talmud Leimar. So the Pasuk says otherwise. But when is it that a woman becomes a Satan, she drinks the water, etc.? It is the Eid Ein Ba. When there isn't a witness regarding the woman. Now the truth is, whenever the Torah writes the word Eid, it actually refers to two witnesses. This is learned from Sukkim elsewhere. Eid refers to two witnesses. Now this Pasuk of the Eid Ein Ba continues. And the Pasuk says, the Eid Ein Ba the it Pasa. If there isn't an aid regarding the matter, and we now know that aid means two witnesses, so if there aren't two witnesses, and she wasn't forced to have relations, then the Torah goes on with the whole Sota process. So the Torah is saying that when does the woman drink the Sota water and go through the whole process? If there aren't two witnesses, and she wasn't forced to have the relations. Now really we're discussing a case where we don't know if she was forced or not. If we knew as a fact that she was not forced, and that she had willing relations, then certainly she wouldn't drink the water, we would know that she is guilty. So when the Pasuk says that she wasn't forced to have relations, it must mean that we don't know yet whether she was forced or not. So really what the Pasuk is saying is that if there are not two witnesses, rather there is one witness, and yet it is still unknown whether she had relations willingly or not. Meaning that one witness didn't see the actual relations. The fact of whether she had relations willingly or unwillingly is not yet known. In such a case, then the Torah says that she drinks the water and goes through the whole Sota process. And that implies that if the one witness says whether she had relations willingly or not, and that would be if the witness saw them have relations, then they would not go through the process of drinking the water, etc. And that's how we learn that even one single witness would be believed to say that she had relations and she wouldn't drink the water, rather she would be divorced and not receive her kasuba. If that's the case, says the Mishnah, now we can make the opposite Kavachaymer. Kavachaymer Now, according to this, we should make a Kavachaymer to the first testimony, the testimony about the stira. If regarding the last testimony, meaning the testimony about her actually having relations, which, is, which forbids the woman with a permanent 
prohibition to be with her husband. And yet the Torah said that even one witness is enough for that. That's what we learn from the Eid Ein Bar. So Eidus Harishayna, the first earlier testimony regarding the Stirah, which doesn't lead to a prohibition which is permanent. It's got less severe consequences. It's not all the more so that it should be established with just one witness. Why is it that according to Yeshua we require two witnesses for the stira? Answers the Mishnah. There's another Pasuk, Talmud Lomar. The Pasuk says otherwise regarding a woman who is divorced. When talking about why somebody would divorce their wife, it says, When he finds in her a matter of immorality, for example, if she was seen alone with somebody, and elsewhere, the Torah says, By the testimony, by the mouth of two witnesses, a matter will be established. So the Torah uses the same word, dovar, in both of these psukim. So there is a gzeir shava. Gzeir shava is when the same word is used in two psukim. And we learn laws and connect the two psukim. And we learn as follows. Just like over there, in the Pesach of Al-Pishnaim Edim, the Torah explicitly says that two witnesses are required. Afkan, so to overhear, regarding a man who finds something immoral in his wife, which is really talking about a soita, Al-Pishnaim Edim, that fact is established only by the testimony of two witnesses. The Gemara explains that it could be that this particular learning of the Pesukim is not necessary for a regular case of soita, it could be that it's necessary only in a case where there wasn't Kinoy and Stira. So then how do we know that if two witnesses come and say that they saw her have relations with another man, how do we know that that is accepted? So this would be the source for that. Be as it may, there are Pesukim which teach that for Stira two witnesses are required, and after Kinoy and Stira, the fact that she has relations with the other man is it's enough that only one witness testifies about that. Mishra Dalit, what happens if Aid Oymer Nitmes one witness comes to Bastin and he says that she had relations. I saw her alone with this man and I saw her have relations with him. The aid And another witness at the same time comes to Bastin and says that no, she didn't have relations with this man. I was with this other witness the entire time. We both saw the same thing and I saw that she didn't have relations, at least whilst we were there. And the same applies for people who are generally invalid witnesses. The Ishoimeris Lonitmes, if a woman comes to Basin and said that she saw her have relations, and another woman says that I was with her the whole time, we both saw the same thing, and I saw that whilst we were watching, they didn't have relations. Since they both contradict each other, and they come to Basin at the same time, so both of the testimonies are cancelled out, and it's as if none of, none of them came. So we go back to what the law was until now, where she's gone through Kinu and Stira, and therefore she would drink the water and go through the regular process and procedure of a Saita. Now the Gemara notes that if they didn't come at the same time, and let's say first somebody came and said that she had relations, and the basin accepted that testimony, and said that she cannot drink and she needs to be divorced. If after that decision of the basin, then somebody else comes, and says that I saw the same thing and she didn't have relations, then their testimony is considered weaker and the woman would still not be able to drink and she would still need to be divorced. And the reason for this is because witnesses, when we have witnesses testifying about something, in virtually all cases we require two witnesses. Now when it comes to the exceptions where even one witness is enough, that's only enough because we consider him to be like two witnesses. So when Basin accepted this single witness, they said we're going to consider his testimony as if it came from two people. And therefore, once they've accepted it, it's not enough that one other single person comes and contradicts that testimony. Because now it's like one person is coming against two. 
and therefore the two win and she would still not be able to drink the water. Continues the Mishnah. This time we're talking about in, people who are generally invalid witnesses. Echod Omer Nitmes. One of them says that she did have relations. Or Shanaim Omer But two people say that she didn't have relations. We saw the same thing and we saw that she didn't have relations. In that case, they, she would still drink the water. We go like the two witnesses who say that she didn't have relations. Shanaim Omer Nitmes. If two witnesses who are generally invalid say that we saw her have relations, and one witness says that we saw the same thing, and whilst we were watching, she didn't have relations, then the woman would not drink the water. And the point of this Mishnah, the last half of the Mishnah, is to tell us that when it comes to believing and accepting the testimony of witnesses who are generally invalid witnesses, we go according to the majority. If it's two against one, then whether it is a reason to say that she can drink the water or whether it's a reason to say that she can't drink the water, we always follow the majority and we would accept the two rather than the one. When it comes to valid witnesses, this is not necessarily the case. In general, there is a rule that we look at a group of witnesses as a group. If let's say you have a group of two witnesses saying one thing and you have a group of a hundred witnesses saying something else. If they are valid witnesses, then we view them as having the same power. This is one group against one group. However, when it comes to accepting the testimony of invalid witnesses, then we follow the majority. Now, there are three more parochim left of this Masechta, and two out of three of them happen to be relatively long parochim. And yet, in terms of the subject of Saita, the Masechta is pretty much finished. And the first two Mishnayas of the seventh parak are really an introduction for the rest of the Masechta, which goes very sidetracked to discuss other things. Perek Mishnah Aleph. The following things can be said in any language. Parsha Saita. So we're starting off with Saita at least. The part of the Torah which the Pasukim describe what the Kohen has to say to a Saita woman when he is making her make a Shavua, an oath that she didn't commit adultery and that she accept the curses and consequences upon herself. So although that which is written in the parchment and put into the water is written in the language of the Torah, the exact words which the Torah wrote, nevertheless when the Kohen is telling the woman what is written in there and telling her what she is accepting upon herself, he can and should do that in a different language if that is what she understands. All of the things which we're going to list here, which can be said in a different language, it has to be a language which the person understands. As well as that, the fact that all of these things can be said in any language, all the things in the next Mishnah that need to be said in the language of the Torah, they're all learnt from Pesukim, which the Gemara brings, and some of them, the Mishnahis in this Perek, will themselves bring the Pesukim. It is learned from Pesukim whether it needs to be said in Loshna Kodesh, in the language of the Torah, or not. Next, Uvidui Maiser, which literally means the confession of the Maiseris. This refers to what was done at the, in the Pesach of the fourth and seventh year of the Shemitah cycle. There's something known as Bior. Bior is when all of the Maiseris, all of the tithes, which one has separated over the last, the previous three years, he must make sure that he has given them over to the people who are supposed to receive them, either to, either to the Kohen, to the Levi, to the poor people, those tithes which the owner himself needs to eat, he needs to make sure that he has eaten already, and all of the tithes must have been gotten rid of by the Pesach of the fourth or seventh year. And then on the last day of Pesach, he would make this declaration, known as Vidui HaMaisras, where he declares that he has given and gotten rid of all of the tithes which he needed to separate and give away. So again, this can be made in any language, Kriyas Shema, the mitzvah of reciting Kriyas Shema, that can also be said in any language, or Tefillah, 
Davening the Shemona Esrei can be said in any language. According to many, this is only concerning tefillah which is said in public. Tefillah said by an individual by himself perhaps doesn't need to be said in Lashon HaKadosh. But that is up to discussion. Next, the Rikas HaMozoin, benching, blessing and thanking Hashem after eating. Ushvuas HaEidos, this is an oath which somebody makes that he doesn't have any testimony to give for somebody. Somebody asks him, can you testify for me? For example, that somebody owes me money, that he borrowed money from me, for example. So if that person refuses to testify and he makes a shavua, an oath that he doesn't know any testimony and he can't give any testimony, and then later on he admits that really he was lying, so he's obligated to bring a korban. And that obligation would apply whether he said the shavua in Lashon HaKodesh or in any language. And finally, a shavua regarding a deposit. If somebody, let's say Ruven, gave Shimon an item of his to look after, and Ruven comes to collect it, but Shimon claims and makes a shavua, he makes an oath, that he doesn't have that item. So if later on he admits that he was actually lying, and he made a false oath, then he is also obligated to bring a korban. And that obligation would apply it regardless of what language the shavua was made. Mr. Base, on the other hand, the following things must be said or were said in Loshna Kodesh, the language of the Torah. Firstly, Mikro Bikurim, the Pesukim which are read out when one brings Bikurim to the Mesa Mikdosh. Bikurim is the gift of the first fruits which ripen in one's field. There's a mitzvah to bring them to the Mesa Mikdosh. And when he does so, he recites many psukim, and he needs to write the, recite the actual psukim which are written in the Torah. He can't just translate them and say them in a different language. As well as that, vachalitza. When a man dies without children, there is a mitzvah upon the dead man's brother to marry the dead man's wife, the widow. But if he doesn't want to, then they can go through something known as chalitza, which then allows her to marry somebody else. And part of that process, which is done in Beistin, is reading out certain Pesukim from the Torah, and that also needs to be done with the actual Pesukim of the Torah. It can't just be said in any language. Next, Brochus Uklolis, this refers to more of an event which happened before the Jewish people entered into Eretz Israel at the end of Moshe's life. Half of the Jewish people stood on Har Gerizim, half of them stood on Har Eval, as the Mishnah will describe in great detail later on in this parak. And the Levim listed many blessings and many curses which will come upon the Jewish people if they listen to the Torah or if Chas they do the opposite. So that was all said in Loshna Kodesh. Next, Brikas Karanim. Brikas Karanim, when the Karanim bless the rest of the people, those blessings need to be said like they're written in the Torah. Or Brikas Kohen Godol, the eight blessings, the eight brachas which are said by the Kohen Godol on Yom Kippur towards the end of the Yom Kippur service when he reads from the Torah. And all of these things, the, the rest of the next three prokem really, will go into great detail to discuss them. This is sort of the contents page for the rest of the Masechta. Upar Samelech, the part of the Torah which the king himself would, would read. Once every seven years, at the end of a Shemitah year, the following Sukkot, all of Kali Israel would come to the Beis HaMikdash, and the king would read out certain Pesukim from the Torah. And again, that had to be read from the Torah, how it is written in the Torah. The part of the Torah which is read out when there is an incident of Egla Rufa, which is when a dead body, somebody who was killed and the dead body is found outside of a city. So the basin of the nearest city need to come to that site and they break the neck of a calf and they recite certain psukim. So these psukim need to be said in Lashna Kodesh as is written in the Torah. And finally, the Kohen who was anointed with oil, and he had the unique job of speaking to the people in the time of war. 
before they went out to battle, he would give them chizuk, he would strengthen and encourage them, and he would say the psukim which are written in the Torah itself, and all of these things we are going to discuss in the coming three parakim.